five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My two guests joining me today in this two-part episode representing Kidney Cancer UK charity are nurse health professional and former kidney cancer specialist nurse Susan Syashuk and Head of Public Affairs and Communications Malcolm Packer. In the first part of this episode, I will be speaking with Susan about kidney cancer. Then in part two of this episode, I will be speaking with Malcolm about the work of Kidney Cancer UK. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Susan? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much for letting me talk to you about kidney cancer and raising the awareness of kidney cancer. You're welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. As I mentioned in the introduction, is a two-part interview. So the first part is with yourself, Susan. Susan is joining me to talk about the medical side of kidney cancer. And then the second part of this interview, I'm going to be having a chat with Malcolm, who's the head of public affairs and communications. So double the honor of talking to amazing people. I speak to so many amazing people on this podcast. So the first question that I have is, what is kidney cancer? Good question. It's also known as renal cancer. So some people might already know about renal cancer. It's one that people are very, very unaware of a lot of the time when they're diagnosed saying, I've never heard of cancer in the kidneys. And it is a disease caused by the development of a malignant or cancer cells in the kidney when abnormal cells in either of the kidneys start to divide and they grow in an uncontrolled way. And then they form a tumour or a lump or a mass, you can call it. Sometimes it's a single mass in one kidney, but sometimes it can be in both kidneys or in one kidney, you can have multiple masses. Renal cell cancer is the most common kidney cancer type in adults between about 90 to 95% of cases. That's the most common one. But there are other kidney cancers that are more rare. Right. Because I have to admit, I hadn't heard of kidney cancer myself. And so I was completely unaware. And it stands to reason that you can get cancer in different parts of the body. And so obviously, I'm passionate about kidney. So I really wanted to find out more information and share this with the podcast listeners. So who does kidney cancer affect? And what's the incidence of kidney cancer? It affects both men and women. Men have got a slightly higher incidence. There's around 46,000 plus people in the UK that are living with kidney cancer. And recent statistics have shown it's about 
13,300 new cases of kidney cancer in the UK each year. It's the seventh most common cancer in the UK as well, which affects men and women. And unfortunately, 13 people die each day in the UK with kidney cancer. The facts are that one in every 35 deaths from a cancer is due to kidney cancer. And as you say, how many people don't know about it? So this is, you know, it is the seventh common, but there's not many people that know about it. The most people that it does affect is people over 60. But I would say that the incidence over the last 10 years, it has actually risen. We are seeing more patients in their 30s and 40s. And you do have children that have kidney cancers, but they're different type of the way that they work, their genetic makeup, it works differently. So obviously they are treated totally differently. I've never treated a child with a kidney cancer, but the way that they're treated is very different to how we treat adult kidney cancers. As I said, that we're seeing more and more incidents of kidney cancers. And, and over the last decade, they're saying that the incidence has increased by about 29% in the UK. And there's a number of reasons or factors for this. One is that obviously an increasing age population that we're getting. The other is that we're getting better scanning facilities now. So we're picking up, you know, these renal masses, renal tumours a lot earlier. And also the increased use of imaging. You might go for a scan for something totally different and it's picking up that renal mass. And also lifestyle factors has a big influence into it as well. So when you say lifestyle factors, what do you mean? Things that can actually cause kidney cancer. Lifestyle is the greatest factor for kidney cancer, which is smoking, dietary factors, obviously, you know, leading to obesity, leading to high blood pressure, hypertension. So, you know, if you're leading an unhealthy lifestyle, this can actually affect you getting kidney cancer. And unfortunately, it doesn't mean that anybody that gets a kidney cancer, it's due to their own fault. Because as you know, with any type of cancer, you can lead the most healthy lifestyle. You know, you can never smoke. You can, you know, you can have a great diet. You can have a great exercise regime, but you can still unfortunately get a cancer. But these are the certain factors that can cause kidney cancer. And lifestyle is the greatest factor. So what other things cause kidney cancer? You've got an increased risk of developing kidney cancer if you've had cystic kidneys, renal stones, acquired cystic kidney disease, complication of renal dialysis, as you, you'll know about dialysis and that type of things more than I do. And they say that if you've had previous radiotherapy to the abdominal area, that can actually be a risk factor as well. There are other risk factors, inherited diseases and genetics. And one of the inherited diseases called von Hippolindo syndrome and Bertog-Dube syndrome. And these are all genetics, hereditary factors that, you know, relatives have had papillary renal cell carcinomas. And obviously, patients that are picked up at a young age, like in their 30s and 40s or even early 50s, you know, we always ask them those questions. Obviously, you always ask a patient, you know, if they've been diagnosed with a kidney cancer, have you got any family history of this? But the earlier on that they are, 
these are questions that we really ask. And obviously, you know, if there isn't, then we, we will do genetic testing because obviously this, you know, kidney cancer in your 30s, you know, in your 40s it, it is quite rare. And then you would actually ask them to say that maybe we need to do some genetic testing and refer to the genetic team. So there's a lot of different factors there that can cause kidney cancer. And obviously, from my point of view, my ears tuned into when you said, obviously, I was listening to everything, but I particularly tuned into when you said that dialysis is actually a risk factor for kidney cancer. Yes. Do they know why? No, that's just one of the things. No, I don't know. Unfortunately, like you said, you can do everything right. And yet something can go wrong. Yeah. So what are the signs and symptoms of kidney cancer? Well, unfortunately, the body's remarkably good at hiding the symptoms. Oh, no. And with small renal tumours, you know, very small ones, they're most commonly found as an incidental finding. As I mentioned, you know, you might go to the, the doctors complaining of something totally different. They've sent you for a renal ultrasound and it's picked up a real mass or a CT scan, anything like that, they actually may find it like that. And that's probably because they're very small and then most likely to be low-grade tumours. The initial symptoms, blood in the urine, hematuria, flank pain, and that's pain behind the hips and the ribs. And you may actually feel a mass, a lump or a mass in the kidney region. You may have experienced some weight loss. Patients often complain of fevers and night sweats or chronic fatigue. Also, males actually can say that they've been to their GP, that they've got a variceal, which is an enlargement of the veins draining the testes. This is more often on the left testes. So patients might present to their GP and say, well, you know, I've, I've had pain in my testicle. They've sent for an ultrasound in their scan. And then they've actually said, well, we probably have to have a look at your kidneys at the same time. And then that's picked up as well. Also, blood tests might have been done. They might have some hypercalcemia, elevated calcium levels or hypertension resulting from secretion of renin by the tumour. So obviously, a lot of these symptoms that you may get, like bone pain and things like that, or, or a lot of pain, as I say, anorexia, weight loss. A lot of the times that you're getting those type of symptoms, that's when it's at an advanced stage. So the tumour is quite a significant size by this. And obviously that's why it's giving you, you know, you're, you're having these symptoms. But as I said, very small renal masses, you probably won't have any symptoms at all. And that's why it's incredibly shocking to patients when they present into clinics where they're being told that they've got a kidney cancer when they'll be saying, well, I feel absolutely fine. I feel fit as a butcher's dog. Are you sure? Have you got it right? Because it's more accepting to realise that there's something going on when you've had lots and lots of symptoms and you're feeling pretty wretched and fatigued and, you know, not sleeping and, and you're ghastly. And then you think, well, actually, I, I thought that there was something going on because I've been feeling this unwell. But when you've got no symptoms and you feel well, then it it's an incredible shock to know that you've got a cancer diagnosis. To be to be told that you've got a cancer diagnosis when you feel so well is a lot more for patients to actually take in. I can relate to that. I mean, kidney disease is similar in the sense that 
someone can be absolutely fine. They feel fine within themselves and then have a blood test or whatever reason it might be. They've gone to their doctor and find out they're in kidney failure. I've interviewed people on the podcast that went for a blood test and were put straight on dialysis. And so, Yeah. yeah, you know, when people make the comments, which I hear so often, you don't look sick. It isn't about yeah. how you look. It's about what's going on on yes. the inside. Yes. And so that's why it's so important to be empowered with knowledge so that you can help yourself as much as possible. But like you said, it isn't necessarily that you've done something wrong. So let's put that out there. Yes. You know, sometimes bad things happen. Yeah. Real unfortunate, you know, and you do have those conversations with patients who say, well, you know, what have I done? Why have I got this? What have I done? You know, should I have done this? And you have to say that you can't beat yourself up about this. So unfortunately, sometimes it is unfortunate cards that you've been dealt with. Sometimes it's not anything that you could have done, you know, and you, you were really, as you say, you really have to get that message across to people. There are things, common things that they actually say could have caused it, but it doesn't mean that there's any fingers to be pointed at. Absolutely. What is the treatment of kidney cancer? Gold standard. And and what normally happens is if it's a a big tumour in the kidney, is surgical resection or removal of that kidney. Obviously, if the kidney is less than seven centimetres, and depending on the location of where the the tumour is in the kidney, whether it's if it's on the edge of the kidney or down the bottom or or it's accessible, it may be that they do a partial nephrectomy, which means that you you only remove the tumour part and obviously some margins as well, because obviously you don't want the seeds to go out. And they'll take that out and then they preserve the rest of the kidney. So they're trying to maintain as much kidney function as they can. So partial nephrectomy is a really good one. Obviously, if it's less than four centimetres, patients can actually have a thing called radiofrequency ablation or cryoablation, which is a cooking or freezing. But this is mostly offered to patients that are maybe at a higher risk of surgery. And that may be through multiple comorbidities, the older population. Putting them through a general anaesthetic might not be the best option. But obviously, with any type of treatment that you offer you know careful consideration is required when offering surgery and what happens in that situation is a patient is presented at a multidisciplinary team meeting in the hospital where you have the surgeons where you have the oncologists you have the radiologists all looking at those scans and the nurse specialists as well all looking and having you know this conversation of what is the best clinical outcome and what is the best option for this patient when they present the patient and obviously as I've said the higher incidence of patients that are 60 plus so an older population might have a long history of smoking have a higher prevalence of hypertension type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease obesity so patients frequently present with mild to moderate renal function and therefore a progression of renal failure may be accelerated post-nephrectomy or partial nephrectomy. So these are are real careful considerations when going into, you know, offering surgery. And what's really important is if there's anybody that we actually think that 
renal function may be compromised, then those are the discussions that the surgeon will have with the nephrologist. And, and obviously, if they think maybe patient may be tipped onto dialysis or temporary dialysis post-surgery, then they will meet with the nephrologist beforehand to obviously discuss about what renal dialysis and what the risks and benefits of surgery are. This is really important that they have those conversations that a patient isn't going into surgery unaware of the risks that can happen following, you know, removal of kidney or part of a kidney. You know, it, it's no good after the events happening that their renal function deteriorates and then they're tipped onto dialysis and they have no idea about renal dialysis. These are the conversations that really happen before surgery. And also they do perform some tests as well that obviously pre-surgery, if the tumour is a really big tumour, you know, that will have been picked up anyway, that the renal function has been compromised in the diagnosis stage. And obviously, a lot of the time, if it's a huge tumour affecting the kidney, then that kidney is probably not working anyway. And that's the reason. So to remove it, it's not going to have any detriment because it's not working anyway. So if the kidney function, if you weren't sure about somebody's kidney function, if you noticed that the renal function levels were compromised, then they would do some tests. They're called DMSA tests, like split function, that they can see both kidneys, how they're both working. If they remove one kidney, how the other kidney is functioning. And that really gives them a real good indication of whether that could tip them onto some temporary dialysis or permanent dialysis. Right. So the kidney cancer in of itself, when you're treating it, you aren't necessarily going to affect the EGFR or the kidney function in a negative way. And like you said, if it's a big mass, then it was compromising the kidney function anyway. So by removing it, it wouldn't be detrimental. It might even improve it if it's, you know, not there causing a problem. So in, I know this is probably a, a difficult question to answer, but in all cases of kidney cancer, does it affect EGFR or is it only some cases? I think in the initial post-surgery, it can affect the EGFR, yes. So obviously, once they've had that operation, you know, it's really important that they're monitoring that renal function, the serum creatinine levels, you know, they're really checked and obviously the EGFR, because what does happen, it will dip. And not every kidney tumour, even from the, you know, the big tumours, yes, they probably aren't working, but not every patient that has their kidney removed, they may have had still had kidney function in that kidney. So as you know, when a kidney is removed, then it's sending the other one, it shocks the other kidney. So obviously, then the renal function can be compromised. So, but what I say, a patient that has had an nephrectomy, the remaining kidney hypertrophies, it enlarges to compensate for the loss of the kidney and it enhances its cleaning capacity there. But there are some patients that the EGFR, the creatinine is affected. And obviously that really needs to be monitored. And then really monitoring, I mean, that their, their urea, their creatinine, their EGFR, you know, bloods all need to be monitored. And this is not just post-surgery. This is follow-up as well. 
Also, we always say, make sure that you're monitoring your blood pressure. That's a real important thing. And it's actually giving them healthy lifestyle advice as well, getting them to protect their kidneys. And um, patients that have had any cancer, and, and obviously kidney cancer patients as well, they'll always be looking to, oh, well, what do I need to eat? What do I need to eat? You know, because I've had a cancer. And it's not also what do you eat? It's not any fatty or funny diets, but it's actually making sure that they're living a healthy, balanced diet, but also things that you are protecting your kidneys, like eating less red meat, you know, reducing your potassium, your foods like the potatoes and the bananas, avoid long-term non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication. That's another one. Avoiding processed foods, lower your salts, eating less sugar. So it's all things like this, but to try and maintain a healthier kidney and a healthier weight as well. Because as you know, you know, if if you're if you're not exercising, if you're smoking, you know, all these things can have a negative impact on your quality of life as well. So it's trying to maintain a good blood pressure. It's trying to reduce the risk of you getting diabetes. All these will help. So the renal diet that a person with kidney disease follows, would that be a similar kind of thing or the same kind of thing for a very, patient with very kidney similar, cancer? Yes. Yeah, very similar. Because obviously, if these patients post-surgery are monitored, and we're noticing that there's a decline in their renal function, and it's not starting to increase, because obviously, over time, you would like it to think that the EGFR starts to increase, obviously, and, and it may just maintain it at not, it's not going to be a normal level. Well, with some patients, it is a normal level because if you were extremely fit and young and healthy beforehand, it may not be affected and it will go back to that normal level. But for some, it doesn't. And, and it may have never been a normal, perfectly healthy because of their age. But obviously, if you're noticing a trend that it's decreasing and you're becoming concerned, that's the time that you would actually, even if the nephrologist wasn't on board pre-surgery, there was anything that the consultants or the nurse specialists were concerned with, then they would make that referral to the nephrology team and say, you know, this gentleman or this lady's had a nephrectomy or a partial, you know, and we've noticed that there's been a decline in renal function. And then you would make that referral for them to be seen. So really, like all patients, really, the, the follow up and the aftercare and having those blood tests and urine tests going forward is really important. Yes. So we've talked about EGFR and talked about if one kidney is removed and we've said many times on the podcast that you can live a healthy life with one kidney because as you mentioned earlier, the other kidney will take over and work harder to clear out all the toxins and all the amazing things that the kidneys do. But is it possible for the cancer to spread can go from one kidney to the other or is it just it's in one and that's it or it's in both in the beginning yes kidney cancer can spread it can spread to the other kidney it can spread from the kidney being removed seeds can be transplanted into the nephrectomy which is the that's what it's called a nephrectomy taking that kidney out it can be in that bed of where the, the kidney was. It also can spread to the bones, the lungs, 
the liver, the adrenal glands, the bone and the brain. And that's why I was saying that before that 25 to 30% of patients present with metastatic disease, and that means spread. Metastatic is spread of the kidney cancer. And it, unfortunately, some patients will present to their GPs with headache or severe headaches, off balance. They might have had a CT scan, which has picked up a tumour, thinking it's a brain tumour. But obviously, when they have a biopsy of that, or they have surgery for the tumour, it might have picked up that it's a renal cancer. And then obviously, from there, it will be that they have a CT scan. And it's most likely from a secondary, which is the metastatic disease from a kidney cancer. Most patients that present with metastatic with spread disease is a persistent cough. And that's probably because it's spread to their lungs. It's not a lung cancer. It's a kidney cancer that has actually spread to their lungs. That cell has broken off and gone to the lungs. It may be that they present with bone pain, that it's spread to their bones or abdominal pain because it might be in some of the lymph nodes as well. These patients usually are pretty anorexic because obviously the tumour is feeding on the tumour and you see severe weight loss patients will say that you know they've lost a significant amount of weight in three, four months and they've got extreme fatigue. Sometimes, depending on how much disease of spread there is, if it's only in one area, Say, that, for instance, that it had just gone to the lung or it had gone to the adrenal gland. Surgery isn't off the table. It depends on how much the spread is. So if it was only a small amount of spread, it may be that they say the best thing for us to do is to take that bulk of the disease, which is in the kidney, remove that, and they might be able to do maybe a resection of the liver if it was in the liver or taking out an adrenal gland or actually they can do other things. It's called SABER, which is called stereotactic body radiotherapy, which targets the lungs. So surgery isn't off the table, but it's this balance of measuring the amount of disease that's there and, and the risks and benefits to patients. If the disease is in lots and lots of places, then you might actually think, well, surgery probably isn't the best outcome. And it may be that we need to start some systemic treatments, which are called SAT, which is systemic anti-cancer treatments. This isn't chemotherapy because kidney cancer is resistant to chemotherapy. So it works on a different targeted agents that they use. These are called abbreviations, these TKIs, which is tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And what they actually do is they're receptors. So they actually stop tumor growth they're blocking receptors. So it stops the tumor growth. So it starves it as oxygen and nutrients. So they can't feed. So it stops the tumors. And these drugs work for a good time, you know, a, a good amount of maybe months. Some patients are on them for years. And obviously they'll get to a point that they don't work anymore. And then there's another second line of treatment, a third. You know, I'm going back 10 years, 12 years ago, there was very, very little for kidney cancer when it had spread, that it had metastasized. And the treatments that were out there were very, very small percentage of patients that these worked on. And then obviously when the, the TKIs came on board, this has given new hope for kidney cancer patients with metastatic disease. 
And I know from nursing patients in 2006, 2007, when NICE, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, approved these drugs, these patients would not be here today if they hadn't have had those drugs. And some of them are still surviving today, maybe on fourth line treatments. You know, they've had a good quality of life and it's still giving them hope and it's still giving benefit to them. The other treatments that we are using now, which we've been using for probably a couple of years now, is immunotherapy. And that actually stimulates immune response so that the body detects the cells and destroys the tumor cells. And recently, only last year, I think it was, we've started using combination therapy. And it's a combination of the immunotherapy and the TKIs. And you use them in combination with each other. And these are having fantastic results. We always say to patients that we can never cure you or say that you're cured of metastatic disease. But there's a, a lot of patients that have been on immunotherapies now are in remission with no disease. So, you know, this is really exciting times for patients and for nurses like me that have got a real passion for kidney cancer, you know, and really, really want to see patients not just have a longer life you know, with metastatic disease, but a better quality of life as well. Because with any type of treatment, as you know, there come side effects of drugs. And so it's really trying to get that balance right of quality of life and extending life. The other thing that I would say that we give for patients that have spread to the bones, they can have surgery, depending on where that is. And maybe for palliative, which is when we know that this is not curative, but the patient is not fit for surgery or for intervention, but they've got pain, radiotherapy is a really good option as well for bone pain. That's not for just patients that are at their last days, but for patients that maybe surgery isn't the best option. They might have bone pain in their hips or, you know, in an arm that they've got um, the tumours spread to the bones in their arms or their legs. And then obviously giving them a shot of radiotherapy will help relieve pain and symptoms. And also a treatment that we give is called an infusion that they can have of bisphosphonates, which helps control the bone pain as well. That's just an infusion for an intravenous infusion, which is usually given about every four to six weeks. It's very comforting to know that advancements in treatment means that more people have that quality of life and are living longer and there's hope even in yes. the midst of this very, very difficult situation. Yes, very much so. We have to be mindful that the drug therapy treatments don't last forever, but obviously there's not just a first line of treatment now, there's second line, there's third line, there's fourth line. And obviously long may this continue that with clinical research and more clinical trials, and more drugs getting out there that we can use to extend life, to extend quality of life, does give hope to patients, yes. I know that we've kind of touched on this already, and we've said that in some cases, even if you live the most healthy life, unfortunately, you may become ill. But even with that in mind, what can be done to prevent kidney cancer? I think it's the lifestyle choices maybe that you can think about. Think about 
drinking for a healthy bladder, you know, maintaining your fluid intake, a good fluid intake of a litre and a half to two litres. That's what we would say, obviously not for dialysis patients. Having a healthy lifestyle, exercising, as we said, maintaining a healthy blood pressure, trying to avoid the risks of getting type 2 diabetes, you know, with obesity, trying to maintain that healthy weight and also a healthy mind as well. I mean, that's a really important thing. There's an awful lot of clinical studies and things out there saying how much the outdoors and, you know, living that healthy lifestyle outdoors is really, really good, you know, and for managing your mental health as well. I think it's a holistic approach to actually trying to maintain that healthy lifestyle. But also, unfortunately, if you do get a cancer, whatever cancer it is, whether it's kidney cancer or others, never try to apportion blame on yourself. Unfortunately, sometimes it is just one of those things. But if you can try and try and avoid or try and prevent it, if you can, that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today for part one of this Raising Awareness of Kidney Cancer episode. I know that the information that you've shared will help and empower so many people. So thank you so, so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Dee. Stay tuned for part two of this episode. I will be speaking with Malcolm Packer about the work of Kidney Cancer UK charity. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Malcolm? I'm really good, thanks, Dee. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really looking forward to our interview today. So Kidney Cancer UK, as a charity, what work do you do to support kidney cancer patients? Well, as I say, we've been around just over 20 years now as Kidney Cancer UK and We support our patients through a wide range of platforms. We have a support line, which patients can phone and talk to one of our healthcare professionals. It's incredibly popular, a wrong word for it, but in demand. You know, we get a lot of calls. We help a lot of people. And if anybody does need that, the number for that is 0800 002. 9002. And through that, you can talk to any of our healthcare professionals. We have five, I think, healthcare professionals, uh, one nurse, a radiologist, and healthcare professional, just basically working in the healthcare sector. So they're qualified to be able to talk to people. And through that, you can also make appointments to talk to our in-house counsellor as well. And she's available to be booked up. I think this it's 12 sessions that you can book with us to talk to our counsellor and she'll talk on a whole range of subjects with you, whichever you wish. And um, again, that's another free service. And then we offer a range of understanding kidney cancer booklets, which are very easy to read. They're very user-friendly. They are written and edited by our healthcare professional team. And we have as I say, we have three. One is on about diagnosis. One is for advanced metastatic patients. And the other one is for surgery and recovery. And they go into some fantastic details. They're really helpful. They're incredibly popular. Again, we supply these free to patients. 
They can find them on our website at um, www.kcuk.org.uk. And if they just go to our library there, they'll be able to find them and read them either online or they can download them or they can order their copies from us, which we will gladly send out. We also share those with cancer units around the country and various hospitals and clinics. And so, again, very much in demand. And we've been doing those for quite some time. We update them on an annual basis as well. So they're very current and they're very useful, um, really useful for patients. So lots there, lots of support for cancer patients. So the counsellor or the other medical professionals, do they also provide information for the families of the patient or is it just for the patient? Uh, No, all of our services are available for kidney cancer patients, for their families and for carers and also friends if they're affected by anybody basically who's touched by kidney cancer can come to us and we will give them support. Uh, We have an open Facebook page. um, And let's not also forget that Kidney Cancer UK is the parent charity for Kidney Cancer Scotland as well. So we have a separate charity in Scotland, which obviously reflects the work that we do across the UK. But what we have on Facebook are four closed Facebook groups, which are really, really important. They are the largest populated kidney cancer closed Facebook groups in the UK and they cover for carers and so we have an exclusive one for carers we have an exclusive one for advanced metastatic patients Uh, we have an exclusive one for patients who have surgery and are in recovery and then we have a single main support group so you join our support group and then you can join into all the others and again if you are looking for those on Facebook either go to our main page where you'll find them or you can go to Kidney Cancer UK patient support group search that and you'll be able to find them and we have around 2,000 patients across those pages and we moderate them I'm again involved in moderating the pages along with Susan who you spoke to earlier on and so the whole healthcare professional team were involved in them. And they're an incredible resource for patients, carers, families and friends to be able to reach out and communicate, share and make friends as well. A lot of people really do make some really long, long-lasting friendships on there as well. So, And it's a great place to be. We moderate it carefully, but we want to make sure that patients are, are being looked after and there's nothing no shenanigans going on in there. So we, we're very careful of who goes in and there's a small questionnaire just to make sure that you're a kidney cancer patient. But everybody's welcome. On. I think that is really important that people do have a safe space to go to. Unfortunately, there are trolls on the internet who will take any opportunity to ridicule or make fun of people, even people mm. that are going through difficult situations. So it's nice to see that It is moderated and it is a safe space where people can go to and, like you said, socialise or bounce ideas off other people, which is something that I can relate to. I belong to groups like that myself. So I think that's really, really important. And Mm. so the telephone line that you mentioned, what hours does that run? That is open from nine till five on weekdays and 10 till 12 
on Saturdays, Sundays and bank holidays. So it's open on bank holidays as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that's more important to be available for people in those times as well, because it's it's a time when some patients might feel a bit lonely and, you know, feel isolated. And certainly from lockdown and COVID and everything that went on there, the demand on our services then just skyrocketed because people needed somebody to talk to. They weren't allowed to talk to doctors face to face. They couldn't have their loved ones with them when they did have any consultations. So it was a really difficult time. So, yeah, so it's a really, really useful tool. Yeah. And, and it's available, it's there, and it's, it's manned by professional people as well. You're not just phoning up to somebody, taking notes, and then get somebody else to call you back. You're talking to somebody. So in terms of the things that you can call about, when you're speaking to the medical professionals, you can ask them medical questions, or is that you connected can, to you, your... Yeah, you can ask the medical questions. Obviously, the there are elements that we can't diagnose over the phone and you know we can talk to them about side effects of their treatments or if we feel they need to talk to their healthcare professional team then we'll always advise them and and you know the advice that we give online is obviously has to be fairly loose sometimes and we can't diagnose and we can't talk about specific issues although we can advise so Finally, what are the contact numbers and the social media information again for the listeners? Okay, so if you want to call our support line, as we say, in between 9 and 5 Monday to Friday or 10 till 12 weekends of bank holidays, then call 0800 002 9002. Our website is www.kcuk.org. UK, and you'll find all the information in there. We've got a search button. Just search what you're looking for. If you're newly diagnosed, there's masses of information to help you, help you understand what's happening and direct you through. And social media, if you're looking for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we are simply Kidney Cancer UK. And we also have uh, Casey Scott as well, which is for Kidney Cancer Scotland. And if you want to join one of our closed Facebook groups, it's probably easier to go to our main website and you'll find all the information on there. But again, just search Kidney Cancer UK Patient Support Group and that should take you there. Thank you. So if anyone wants to send a donation to Kidney Cancer UK, how do they do so? The best way to do that is go to our website, again, kcuk.org.uk. And in the top right-hand corner, there's a donate button and you can donate through that. Very simple, very quick. You can set up a regular payment if you want to, or you can make a one-off payment and any donations are gratefully received. And we don't get, like many charities, we don't get any government support. So we do rely on the generosity of the public. So if you're thinking of it, thank you very much for donating. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing about the amazing work that you do at Kidney Cancer UK and sharing the information. And, you know, it is wonderful to know that there is such good support and information out there for kidney cancer patients. So thank you so much for joining me. 
Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for having us on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.